celebration. But today we're back together to look at uh, the parables, the parables of Jesus. I'm looking at my notes here, and uh, the banker called me this week, and I might as well read this to you because it's good information. I've been negotiating the uh, church loan for the next five years at 3.25%, which is really good. And uh, no appraisal fees, wavering all the renewal fees. And so here we go again. And you've been making double payments. And uh, we as a church are in great standing with our bank. And I do appreciate them reaching out to you. And um, evidently, I didn't have anywhere to write, so I wrote on my sermon. But that's good news to share with you today as we get started looking once again at the subject of the parables of Jesus Christ. You know, most people tend to think that small things have small impacts. Well, last week we looked at the parable of the mustard seed. And we found that as Jesus explained that parable, that um, to some degree, small things do have small impact. But there are many things that are small that have great impact. Matter of fact, as the choir was singing so beautifully this morning and the orchestra was playing, I was thinking of the fact that that's all composed of a combination of, I think I'm understanding this correctly, 12 notes. And they do such a beautiful job and bless us week after week. The results is that of praising God and thanking God. English literature is composed of a combination of 26 letters. And the impact of the small is indeed great. When you take a person like uh, Marilyn Quigley, who can change the world with one paragraph by taking the alphabet and putting it together, and I'm blessed to have her as my editor each week when I send out my letter. The impact of the church. When we think back to the start of the church of Jesus Christ, where there were 12 in the word of the Lord and the power of the Lord, a small group, but yet the impact and the power of God, the, the motivation behind these individuals that became world changers. It's in Matthew, the 13th chapter in the 10th verse. The disciples came to Jesus and they said, Lord, why do you tell these stories? Lord, why do you give these parables? And interestingly, we see in order for Jesus to teach and explain the glories of heaven to the people of his time, he used stories to which they could relate. He talked about sheep. He talked about animals. He used stories of farming. He used the stories of daily life. And Jesus turned to everyday life in Galilee in order to illustrate what the kingdom of God is like. And so today, as we sit here, we continue this study. We continue looking at what the kingdom of God is like. With regard to our scripture text that we will be looking at this morning, it's about yeast and leaven being mixed with the dough. Smaller towns and villages throughout Israel during Jesus' time most likely didn't have bakeries as we know them today. And so women would make bread in their own homes. And Jesus, no doubt, had seen his mother make bread often and use leaven, dough. Leaven was mixed into the new batch of dough. 
and it changed the characteristic of the doe. And I'm sure that as a child, as, as he watched this, he could see that the dough rose and made full loaves when mixed with the leaven. And just like the leaven affecting the dough, God's kingdom likewise, you and I change everything. When we receive Jesus Christ in our life and we receive the power of God in our lives, changes take place, not only within us, but within the worlds that we live in. Going out and telling others about the goodness of God. And so by telling these simple stories, Jesus was able to help people to understand what the kingdom of God is like. The wonders of the kingdom of God and our scripture that we will look at this morning is one of six parables that Jesus told during a day of work, a day of teaching, explaining what heaven is like. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Last week, we studied the parable of the mustard seed, the smallest of all seeds known, at least at the time of Jesus Christ. It seemed to be a seed of least importance, and mustard was an important herb. It was used in a wide variety of ways during the time of Jesus. Mustard even held some some, uh, medical value in the ancient world, and it was very important due to the value of this seed. The seed is planted. We understand now that it grows and it sprouts into a plant. And the plant becomes the biggest in the garden, Jesus says, of Palestine. The variety of mustard grows into large bushes. These bushes would grow 10 to 12 feet tall. And not only would they grow in that height, but he mentions that birds would nest in that bush, which exemplifies that there's security. There's security in the kingdom of God, and there is also shelter in the kingdom of God. And so the message of the yeast parable that we will look at today illustrates this amazing contrast between the small beginnings of the kingdom and its expansion to include the whole world through the knowledge and the saving power of Jesus Christ. Yeast works in strange ways. It works in significant change in dough. It creates, a, uh, it creates a fermentation process that expands the dough. And the dough becomes fermented by the yeast and rises. The bread then becomes much larger than the original amount. And this process also gives, by the way, the bread a better flavor and texture. The yeast creates a positive effect upon the bread, and that's one of the final results. Jesus knew how much resistance the disciples were getting. He knew how much resistance they were receiving, and he knew that the odds were great that they were up against. Israel and the Jews, pagan nations were attacking them. The whole Roman Empire, the whole world was against them, but we know that God was with them and the power of God in this small group of followers, they eventually changed the world. Small, but yet great things are done. The small band of people went into the world and they preached the good news of Jesus Christ. 
They exemplified Christ and they changed minds. They touched hearts and they changed hearts with that message. Their work in God's power completely changed the world around them. And they had an extremely positive impact, but it cost them much. Most of them died horrible deaths and they had nothing in this world. And Jesus knew the extent of their faithfulness. He knew the extent of their effectiveness. But yet I believe that as Barclay says, they were most likely discouraged. And so Jesus gives them a pep talk. He tells them about the mustard seed and how it starts out small, but yet it expands into great things. He tells them the importance that in the times of trouble, if they're united in the power of God, that their work will be a work that will implement change in the kingdom and in the entire world. And so I suspect he perks them up. And today we look at this parable of yeast. It's a parable that is found in Matthew, the 13th chapter, verse number 33. Let's look at this parable. It's the teaching of Jesus Christ. The, the parable starts out and it says he told them. In other words, Jesus Christ told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. He spoke to them another parable, the word of God says. The one translation says, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed with three measures of wheat flour until the whole batch was leavened. At first, this appears to be a story of everyday work of a lady in her household. It appears to be a common story, which Christ intended it to be so people could identify with it. When I was 12 or 13 years old, I started my first job. I started at 4 a.m. in the morning. The place that I worked at was called Janet's Donut Shop, and it was on West Street of Concord, New Hampshire. You can Google it, and you will find that it was a place that was more popular than Krispy Kreme because Janet had a product that everybody wanted. The thing is, it had to start at 1 a.m. in the morning. And here I was, just a youngster that lived next door, and they said, come on in, we'll put you to work. And I remember taking sticks and turning donuts over in the hot grease. Yeast donuts. They were made from dough leavened with yeast. And then there were the cake donuts that are traditionally made from a kind of cake batter that uses a chemical to leaven it, like bacon powder or bacon soda. And the difference in leavening agents dramatically impacts the texture and the flavor of the donuts. Believe me, I tested every one of them. Yeast donuts are lighter, and once cooked, a cross-section reveals kind of a mosaic of air pockets in that donut, giving it the style. It's, it's quite puffy, and it's got a slight chewy texture. I loved them. Cake donuts, on the other hand, had a dense and, and more compact crumb, and that would stick to the root of your mouth. And there was a sturdy, crisp exterior shell, and all of you donut fans are getting hungry right now. And of course, there's the matter of flavor that must be considered. 
You see, cake donuts are more rich. They're more buttery because usually there's a great amount of butter that I would watch being put into these donuts and the yeast donuts, yeah. They were just a little more yeasty, whatever that means. But yeast donuts were much easier to dress up in a variety of ways of flavoring. And not to mention, they can handle a thicker coating of icing. They're better suited to secure your favorite fixings. And this is where Hertz Donuts comes in, where they put sprinkles of nuts or bacon or egg or um, ham or whatever. They've got everything on their donuts, you name it. But yeast donuts are much more conservatively flavored, traditionally with a thin glaze of light icing. And I would put that on with a little brush. And they make great filled donuts. And my job was to take those donuts and put them on a pump. And I was instructed, you put one on each side, you pump down once. The jelly would go into that donut or the Boston cream. But my favorite thing to do, and I lost my job because of it, I gave them two pumps. I ruined a lot of white shirts. I ruined a lot of dresses where people were eating while they were driving and they would bite into that. And man, it was a bonus of that extra pump. Yeast donuts, they predate cake donuts by quite some time. Likely, they were first introduced to the United States, from what I understand, by Dutch immigrants in like the early 1800s. Well... If you're more time conscious, if you're an individual that likes to get things done quickly, stay away from yeast donuts. Stay away from yeast products because it takes several hours, I learned, for proofing, for it to become ready and ready to use. Well, let's go back and ready to eat. Let's go back to the parable. The amount of flour in this parable is most surprising. As you look at the elements of the parable, it's something that uh, is not entirely evident in all translations, like the one that I shared with you this morning. You see, most translations use the description of three measures. That's usually the way it's translated. From the original Greek, you will read triasata, which is a little over a bushel of flour when you convert that into today's thinking. Now that's ridiculously a large amount of flour that this lady is using. You need a 100-quart Hobart mixer to mix that type of dough. It would have to be a mixer that has plenty of horsepower And translating this amount of dough into kitchen measurements for some of you that are good at bacon, this is like 1.1 bushels of flour or 144 cups of flour that this lady is using, the lady in the parable. So when you look at the, the, the quantity of flour that she's using, you'll find out that this is not just an ordinary housewife cooking bread and baking bread for her family. She appears to be baking for Janet's donut shop. Three measures is a whole bushel of flour. 
As I said, it's 144 cups. That's 40 kilos of flour or 88 pounds of flour. And then when you add 40 or so cups of water to make the dough, you have over 110 pounds of dough on your hands. So this is no ordinary woman that Jesus is talking about. She's a heavy duty baker, mixing up enough dough to feed over a hundred people. I was at an event recently where there was great sandwiches and, and there was uh, great subway type rolls and a lot of people and the bread was good. But when we think of this, when we use a common receipt for basic white bread that uses five and a half cups of flour, 144 cups, which this lady is using, is enough to make 26 batches of bread. And a batch of bread is two loaves. That's 52 loaves of bread, each weighing about a pound and a half. And if you were frugal, but not stingy, you could get 16 slices of bread out of each loaf, yielding 832 slices of bread, enough for 416 peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, which you would need 33 jars of jelly and 64 jars of peanut butter. And Jesus shares this parable. Oh, how we love the Olive Garden. How we love to go to Fazoli's, an interesting place that my grandkids love to go to. Or how about going to Lambert's and taking the chance of getting hit in the head with a roll? You see, bread has a wonderful effect upon us, church. It smells so good when it's baking. It tastes so good that when it's smeared with butter or your favorite jelly or honey, that you would put on it. Or in the East Coast, we would put maple syrup on our bread. And it all comes from the mixing of flour, water, and leaven. This scripture of the leavening of dough, believe it or not, is a very controversial text. The Bible many times reflects on leaven in a bad light. Often leaven symbolized for the Jewish people an evil influence. In fact, in the New Testament, this is very true. When you look at the scripture in Mark, the eighth chapter, Jesus advises disciples to be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. And Paul twice uses this phrase, a little leaven leavens the whole lot. And as he exhorted Christian people to separate themselves from all things that can have an evil influence upon you. And if a Jewish proselyte, I read, uh, relapsed into a pagan way, the rabbi spoke of that individual as returning to their leaven. But then also I have read where one rabbi said, great is peace when that peace is to the earth as the leaven is to the dough. So that's used in a positive sense. The point of this parable is not whether leaven is good or bad, rather it is used to illustrate that the most silent of forces may in some case be the strongest of influence. 
And whatever you do, whatever the call of God is on your life, understand that. That silence in power behind the scene and forces, in some cases, and especially in this case, can bring about the strongest influence. Disciples are discouraged, and Jesus reminds them that their work is like yeast in the dough. It's going to pop. It's going to grow. It's going to expand. The kingdom of heaven is like a woman who wants to do more than just feed her family, in other words. The kingdom announced by Jesus is like a woman who wants to feed the village. It's like the woman who, God's woman who wants to feed the world. That the kingdom of God is for everyone. The woman represents God in this parable. She tries to wrestle with 110 pounds of dough. Manually, I'm talking about. No Hobart machines. And if you've done any baking, you know that this is a busy day ahead of you when you've got that much dough. And this is precisely what happens when mankind thinks that they can handle the problems of this world without God. We must have the power of God in our lives. We must have the direction of God. The dough in this story represents mankind. But trying to handle the evil of this world is like trying to wrestle that 110-pound batch of dough. It will literally wear you out. Jesus Christ is the only one capable of dealing with the evil of this world and the events of this world today. That Jesus Christ in, in, in spiritual power from our Lord Jesus Christ is the only one that can handle the struggles, the things that we are up against, the prayers of the people that we prayed for today. As I speak, my sister is dying. My sister is on comfort care. And I know that it will be just a matter of a few days that I will be by her side. But through this, I've had opportunity to pray with my family. They call me and they look to me as the yeast and the dough, the kingdom of God. It would take a miracle to turn her life around and what she's facing. Remember the servant who wanted to rip out the tear that was in the wheat, but the owner told them, hey, leave it alone. The owner said, leave it alone. Unless the lump is kneaded and pounded, the yeast cannot form the small pockets of carbon dioxide needed to make the bread rise. But once the batch is mixed thoroughly and we place the bread in the bread tins, can we rush the leaven process? No, we can't. We can't rush that process. You see, the time of harvest will show it all. Concentrate, Jesus said in the parable of the wheat and the tares on nurturing the wheat rather than pulling out the tares. The owner in this particular case says, I am the only one that's capable now and in the future for handling the problems of evil in this world. So how does God handle the problem of evil in the world in this yeast parable? He plants his kingdom in the midst of the flower represented by the yeast. Yeast represents the kingdom, you and I,
And the yeast starts doing its thing and it reacts with the flour and water and starts the process of leavening and expanding. And God uses us to do so. Can we rush that process? No. Before Little Caesar, before Domino's, before Papa, uh, Papa John's Pizza, a special night out for me with my family was with a Chef Borardi pizza kit. I don't know if you remember those kits, but boy, how I would love to make my own pizza. You'd take the dough and you'd mix it and you had to be patient. There was a little can of cheese in there that you would sprinkle on top of that homemade kit. And there was sauce. And if you had a hot dog or two around the house, you'd chop that up and throw it on there, whatever you could. But I remember as a kid, that was our great night, pizza night. And as I would wait patiently and try to get that dough to rise so I could spread it out, I remember we had ways of cheating. We would take the pan and set it in hot water, try to rush the process. And then finally, we would have the cooked product, but we had to be patient. We had to wait for the bread to rise before we put it in the oven. And so we too, I believe, are asked to be patient. I believe that we are asked to wait for the leaven to do its thing in the same way we are asked to wait for the mustard seed or the wheat seed to do what it was designed to do. Wait for the harvest. We have to be patient and we have to allow the divine bread maker to do his thing for the person that you cried out for today in prayer. Maybe a son, maybe a daughter, maybe an individual that you usually sit beside you wish you could rush the process. I wish I could experience a miracle in the life of my sister, but I can't rush it. I have to be patient. We have to be patient and allow God. His timing is perfect. He moves things forward at his pace and his time. That's the security I have in my life. I don't know what next week holds or next month, but I do know that God is a God of justice. I do know that I'm in his hands, I'm in his plan, and I want to be used by him as long as he wants to use me. You can't rush the process. You can't cut corners. His timing is perfect and he moves things forward. And in the meantime, we can pray, thy kingdom come. But we must understand it's going to happen according to his agenda, not our agenda. Our job is to trust the process that God has put into place to save this world. There is an eternal future, and this church is part of that future. You and I are part of it. But a choice must be made by every person. If you want to be a believer, you can do so today. If you want to accept Jesus Christ, you can do so today. The kingdom of heaven is here before you. The yeast is rising. The yeast is touching your heart through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's time to pray. It's time to accept. It's time to believe in Jesus Christ. It's time to go to the throne of God and ask Christ into your heart.
let's be patient and let's do as Jesus has taught in this parable of the yeast doing its work in the dough. And may we be that yeast in this world and touching others for Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you that each week we can pray each day, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We thank you that you are our peace. But we pray, Lord, this morning that you would help us. You would help us, God, to follow your instructions, your will, that things would be done on this earth as it is in heaven. Help us, Lord, this morning to gain your wisdom and your strength to go out this week and extend the invitation, mixing our Christian yeast in the dough of someone's life so that they may come to know you and know your son, Jesus Christ. For the person who sits today wanting to know more, we pray, Jesus Christ, come into my heart. Jesus Christ, be my peace. Jesus Christ, touch my life. Thank you, God, for the honor that we have to be called to be the yeast in this world. In the times of discouragement, and we thank you for the parables that are encouraging to us. We thank you, God, for this day that you've heard our prayer. And Lord, you are our peace. Let's stand together, church. And let's identify, let's exemplify the peace that Jesus Christ gives us.